0: Welcome to The Ticket. I'm Isaac Dover, and I am not in a studio. Like many people, I'm hungered down at home. So for now, I'm recording over our conference line, and that's why I sound a bit different. And I appreciate you bearing with us as we continue to sort this out. But let's talk about the interview this week. My guest, Senator Sherrod Brown.
1: For two years, President Trump left us without the team that's supposed to manage pandemics. Now...
0: He is a prominent progressive senator from Ohio and has been outspoken on the coronavirus response from the Senate floor in recent days.
1: Now we're all paying the price for President Trump's decision. He
0: faults the Trump administration for its failure to prepare for this pandemic. He also faults Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell for leaving Washington just as the Senate had to pass the stage of the coronavirus bill response, unpaid sick leave, and unemployment insurance.
1: State to take care of all these people that are losing their jobs and don't know what to do. Senator McConnell went back, to, went back to Kentucky, wasted three days, make that four days. Today is another day we're wasting.
0: McConnell made it back to D.C. and they passed the bill. That was phase two. Now there's phase three. And this is one of the main reasons why we wanted to talk with Brown this week. The Trump administration is talking about a $1 trillion stimulus. That is a huge number, the biggest piece of legislation Congress has taken on in years. And it's happening just as the first members of Congress test positive for the virus themselves. So I wanted to understand what this looks like from inside the halls of the Senate. But also, this is a big moment when Americans are examining how they take care of one another, especially those of us facing sudden hardship with the pandemic response. Sherrod Brown's been talking about these issues for his entire career. Now he says, this is a moment when people are thinking deeply about the government's role in society. A lot of it's been about how government failed, but he thinks this is a time when people see how essential the role of government is and what it can mean for people. So like everyone else these days, we connected with him on a conference line. Brown is back in Cleveland. He drove there after the Senate finished session on Wednesday. We spoke just a few hours before the Republicans in Congress unveiled their proposal about a coronavirus response, which includes a lot of big corporate tax breaks. That is not the kind of proposal that Sherrod Brown has about what should happen now. Take a listen. Hey, Senator. It's Isaac DeVere, How are you? Yeah,
1: hey, how are you? Good. Good. Look forward to it.
0: You have expressed a lot of frustration with what is going on and what has been going on. Let me just ask like, a simple question to start with, which is, do you think your colleagues in Congress are up to the task here?
1: Uh, I think it's a challenge that uh, nobody expected of this severity. And um, I think nobody really was prepared for. I spent much of the day, last few days on uh, conference calls, sort of town sort of roundtable conference calls with public health and hospital and public transit and uh, sort of service governments, writ large services in each in, in a community. and and you know, they they plan for disasters, but they didn't plan for any. nobody planned for anything this big. so i I think it's it's um, no, we'll see. i I look at, I mean, I make a contrast that I look at the governor of Ohio, Republican. I'm a Democrat mm-hmm. who is, it was really stepped up? Governor DeWine had done this right. He's had experience and, and character. And I think you contrast that with the President of the United States, who had neither. And while DeWine was doing his job and getting Ohio as prepared as you can for this to respond to it, both economics and healthcare, I'd put it in the reverse order healthcare and the, 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 the prospect of the economy. Um, the president was still calling it a, you know, a, a democratic plot or a fake news or a hoax or whatever, and that that caused us to be several weeks behind. That so the real challenge for the Congress is to make up for the president's um, uh, inability or unwillingness to address this crisis with the gravitas that that any executive should, and that's why I, I in some ways, not to engage in too much political science here, but the fact that the governors of the states can move without the federal administration is limited in what it can do, but in many states, they've done it absolutely right, and Ohio is near the top of that list.
0: Yeah, and and I, I feel like it should be noted like Governor DeWine, before he was Governor DeWine, going back with Senator DeWine until you beat him, right? <laughs> you, you guys ran against well, each like, other and, uh, in 2006 uh, and obviously both wanted to win. You did. Things have moved on in a lot of ways since then. But this is not about the usual political
1: fights. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm very critical of the president through this, not because he's a Republican. I'm complimentary of DeWine. As a Republican, I just because of I mean you look back and one of the one of the heartbreaking things, but one of the places where I'm optimistic that I know we can do much better is until a decade ago we had the best public health system in the in the probably in the history of the world. The CDC from the CDC Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to the local county public health departments in in or city county whatever it is in each state. Um, they've just did very good work on on in increasing our life expectancy and taking care of a real, being a real safety net. Um, the, the those budget cuts a decade ago with the Republican House uh, began to undermine this. And then the President, in two thousand and eighteen, um, eliminated, fired a whole section of his office. Their, their title was something like the National Global Health Security um, Directorate, or something like that. And they, yeah. what their job was, the 40 people headed by a Rear Admiral Timothy Ziemer, who who um, had worked in both the Obama and the Bush administrations. And his job was to surveil the world and look for potential epidemics in a country or a community. And in, in the chances of those epidemics... Going beyond the borders or the region, surging into a pandemic, if you will, and his job is to look for those early. When the president eliminated that, I I wrote him a letter two years ago. Please restore it and stop the budget cuts so we're ready. This this terrible pandemic. I hope the lesson is we we build up that public health infrastructure. It'll take billions of dollars, but what it saves, you know, prophylactically, if you will, what it saves is 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 immense in help and in dollars.
0: Is that a, a, look the Everywhere around the world is going through this. And one of the questions that I think comes up is there are things that clearly caught the Trump administration and, and President Trump himself completely unprepared and off guard about this. Uh, and uh, we're seeing uh, that there there uh, is reporting about the way the Obama administration, go in the last couple of days uh, of the transition, tried to prep the Trump administration and of uh studies that were being done within the trump administration about a pandemic that could start in china that never made it up to the the top levels of government here how much of this is just this is I mean, nowhere in the world got it right is it is it right to put the the uh burden of this on the trump administration
1: no, I, I don't. I don't. First of all, I don't. I don't want to dwell too much on the past. I, yeah. I know I talked about it now, as you did, but I, and I'm fine with that. Um, the answer is yes, but the answer is it's obviously not one president's fault. Uh, this president could have started doing a lot of the things he's now doing in December instead of um, just dismissing it in a contemptuous sort of way and having all his media acolytes do the same. You know, just the the polling numbers are dramatic. Something like. As of last week, 70% of Republicans didn't believe this was very serious yeah. nationally. And something like, I don't know, 20% of Democrats did not believe it was here. Whatever those numbers, they were dramatic. But, but I think that the issue is, though, that, that this could not have been entirely prevented, of course. But it's not just it hit every country. When the, the U.S. Has, has, for maybe not since World War II, maybe, I don't really know when it started, but the U.S. has been the leader on dealing with global help health issues and challenges, um, we send doctors, we send nurses, we organize others, we help fund things. Other countries have been part of it, but we were, one of the great things about this country, we were a world leader in, in that. And, you know, that's not Defense Department. We do that too, but that's one really to be proud of. And we've bungled that. And so, uh, granted, Italy didn't deal this with this, do this right. right. South Korea did it better. But if we had had the kind of leadership Where in November, maybe, Dr. Ziemer could have gone to the president and said, Dr. Ziemer in the White House said, look what we're seeing in China. How do we mobilize the world to do something? It didn't mean you close schools like Governor DeWine has done recently in Ohio. You don't do that early, but you get public health officials Involved, you begin to prepare get the them going, personal. You, know. you, you, you get the testing going, the personal, the the personal protective equipment. You begin to scale up, and the 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 Purell manufacturer production. You start scaling all that up, and you start alerting people that this is a potential public health crisis. Be more ready than we are, because um, we're not nat. No society is naturally ready for something like this. That's what governments there for. and That's why I mean. That's why I'm a guy that believes in. Gov- the power of government really does make lives better. I, I wear in my lapel a canary pen yeah. given to me by a steel worker at a rally, at a worker safety rally. It depicts to me how we live 25 years longer in the United States than we did 100 years ago because of public health fundamentally. And we have, we have, we have lost that mission. It's, it's not just Trump, of course, nor it's not even just conservative politicians who underfund it. It's really all of us let it happen.
0: When you think back, and this is moving so quickly, the changes in our lives just in the last week are immense. and who knows week what, is exactly right. Right. And and what the, the next week is going to uh, hold, who, who knows. When you think about the conversations that you're having with your colleagues, that those who have been moving somewhat slowly on this, uh, last weekend, the Senate went into recess rather than moving on any of the, the coronavirus legislation. What do you say to your colleagues who have been saying, hey, we've got time to do this? I mean, it, it does seem kind of crazy to think about it, that since the Senate went into recess last weekend, there have been uh, at least 6,000 new cases reported.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, saying to somebody, how could you have been so stupid is not really the best way <laughs> to convince them. <laughs> Whether I say that to a Trump voter or I say that to somebody I'm trying to convince that may be moving anyway. But um, yeah, I mean last last Thursday I stood on the Senate floor and Senator McConnell planned to leave and we Pelosi was almost ready to do her de to finisher deal with with um Mnuchin ended up taking another twenty-four hours or so in part because yep. we had left. And McConnell said we're leaving. And McConnell, it turns out, went back to celebrate some judge that some very conservative young judge that he had a clerk for a Supreme Court justice and Justice Kavanaugh was coming out to be at the ceremony and understanding McConnell's on the ballot this week and wanted to trumpet how he pardon my verb there, trumpet yeah. um McConnell McConnell's role in selecting him. I'm sure he wanted to do that. So I and I I mean I didn't see much objection from my at least Republican colleagues. And when you said how fast you made me think, because that, that that day, it was either that day or the day before. We, all Congress, 75 at least, I don't, I didn't count, but most of the Senate, both parties sat in a hearing room, shoulder to shoulder, close to each other, in front of the room, only four or five feet from the front row, sat seven or eight um, public health. Most of them were doctors. Some of the couple of them weren't, but they were all health people. And we were in this room. This was only two weeks. It was, um, it was like 10 days ago. Yeah, And that's how fast it's changed. I mean, no, nobody stood up, including me, and said, what are we doing sitting so close and talking to each other and you know, and shaking hands? I don't think we were shaking hands, and we knew not to do that at that point. But all these public health doctors, the same when you see the president do these news conferences shoulder-to-shoulder with six or seven doctors. What are they thinking when they tell us how serious this is and not to talk, not to stand with people? I don't and get now, that.
0: Now, just in the last couple of days, we're seeing that there are two – uh, members of the House who've tested positive uh, for it, uh, a congressman from Florida and a congressman from Utah, uh, a Republican and Democrats, I guess they are sort of proving that this is not <laughs> in any way divided does that make you scared I mean thinking about what you you 're going to go back to to the Senate and uh, people are standing further away from each other, but still like you 're walking through that building there are a lot of other uh, of your colleagues, of, of aides, of reporters who are around. Uh, I mean, you're, and I don't mean this to, uh, in any, you're 67, right? Like you're, you're, you're uh,
1: no, I, uh, right. No, I, I, scared is the wrong word. I'm concerned. I, my, my daughter, one of my daughters said, um, the way to look at this is not to be afraid that you will get the virus. The way to act is that you think you might have the virus and you might give it to others. And I think right. that puts us all in a, place of humanity and, and caution and, and correct behavior, if you will. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're all concerned about it. We all think there's some inevitability to some number of more prominent people in whatever their profession. And my profession is one where we, you know, we work up close with each other. Well, as we negotiate this, um, this, this next package, uh, package number three, uh, on the on the rescue on the the stimulus slash rescue slash public health bill um, I, I went back to I went back to Cleveland last night. Um, it doesn't matter where I am. I was in Washington by myself, in my office most of the day, last three days. All the negotiations we're doing are by phone or by email or some way where we're not seeing each other. so um, We can operate that way. I, I wish we had all started this earlier. And I go back to we came to the president came to us extraordinarily late, came to this. We came to it later than we should have all of us.
0: You're back in Cleveland. I, I know this is a, a tricky thing. I don't want you to uh, be in a position of revealing personal information about some of your constituents. But you are seeing some of the. Um, the impact of this beyond the health impact, the economic impact, you're hearing about it from people you represent. What does this look like on the ground from what you're seeing already?
1: Well, I, I, um, much of how I educate myself about the public, if I could say it that way, there, there's a wonderful Lincoln line that his staff wanted to stay in the White House and win the war and preserve the union. He said, no, I got to go out and get my public opinion bath. <laughs> yeah. He would do that regularly. When, and and um, that's my job. I mean, I, I think I do that. I try to do it as often as I can I'm not doing it now of course but I the best way I always thought to do it was to to go to Youngstown or to go to Ashtabula or to go to Toledo or Mansfield and sit with 15 people um, across section of community or a group of veterans or a group of teachers whatever the subject was and just listen to them for an hour and a half and I've been doing that by phone the last three days and I mean I everybody I talk to is so concerned about what's happened with the economy I you know one guy runs a bunch of restaurants his revenues are down by 80 or 90 percent i mean we're seeing that everywhere the the goal here is to protect their workers make sure they're not foreclosed on make sure they get health care and they lose their jobs make sure they have enough money um, directly from the federal government if necessary and it is necessary so that they can go on with their lives in a, in an okay sort of way and then what do we do with businesses so when this gets better they can scale up with much of the same workforce That's already trained and skillful at any level. So those are the challenges, but, but we see the, I mean, this is, is, the country's in a, in a, in a difficult place now, we, we always rise to challenges. I, I've never seen one quite like this in my career.
0: And and for you, you've got a bunch of ideas that you've been thinking about and, uh bills that uh, you've been proposing. And it seems like part of the issue here is how to prioritize among the priorities. There's so much that needs to be done, uh, but some of it is going to get done first. And, and how do you pick the things to focus on? Can you walk through what how you approach that?
1: Yeah, I think you start with anything we do. This is in 2008, 9, and 10 with a corporate bailout. This is uh, whatever relief package we do starts with the workers and making sure that they can go forward with their lives and raise their children and, and stay in their homes and have enough food and have an expanded Medicaid or whatever they need for regular health care, let alone the coronavirus. So through that lens, you, you um, pass a good, not an inadequate which is all we could get out of the Trump administration on the first round or the second round, not an inadequate, but a good um, policy on family leave so that $12 an hour workers don't have to, um, if, gets, if she gets sick, she doesn't, she either goes to work and infects people or stays home and loses $100 income that she needs for her rent to make sure that all of those things are taken care of. Um, I mean, that's that's kind of how you start. And I I see it all through the prism of of the dignity of work, a term Actually, first time I saw it was Pope Leo the Thirteenth, the labor pope. I'm not Catholic, but I read a lot about him 120 years ago. But mostly popularized the the, the theme of the dignity of work of Dr. King, and he he sort of overlapped um, dignity of work with civil rights. And it, it, so it's it's not just white male union workers the dignity of work. It's people that prepare food and clean our offices and work construction, and it's people taking care of children. It's people working for tips. Um, it's people staying home and caring for any for caring for an aging parent. All of those, that whole dignity of work theme to me is 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 what I get up every day and think about and fight for.
0: We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I asked Senator Brown about the specific solutions he wants to see and whether, as Congress debates an enormous intervention here, this is a moment when serious change could actually come about. You're part of a bill with uh, Senator Booker from New Jersey and Senator Bender from Colorado uh, that would be a, a cash infusion. Uh, and, and can you explain why you think that that's the right way to approach this?
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's one of the right ways. I, yeah. a, a number of Republicans, including Secretary Mnuchin and then the president mm-hmm. on. Uh, a handful of senators are saying most important thing is a cash, just a cash and you call confusion as good as any um, started at a thousand. We're mostly saying what senators Booker and Bennett and I are saying is make it make it 2000 right now, then a second payment of 1500 next quarter and a thousand after that is still necessary for, to, to protect people and, and to keep the economy going. Um, but that, 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 for some, particularly conservative politicians, that's sort of okay. We did that. We can, we we're done with this. Well, to us, it's not the most important component. It's what we do now. But the most important components are are scaling up unemployment employment insurance, uh, and that means getting it to people quicker and it needs to be more generous. It's sort of decayed over the years. Um, UI benefits. It means an earned income tax credit expansion. It means. Having a look back on on EITC in 2021, so people can get their base their income on 2019 and get what they should on EITC, all those kinds of things. But 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 keep it always in mind that it's all about the, the the great thing about unemployment insurance, like Medicare, like Social Security, is they're all part of social insurance. That is, you pay into unemployment. You pay into UI, you pay into that insurance, you pay into Social Security, you pay into Medicare. Um, you get benefits when you need them, sometimes before retirement, sometimes um, at retirement. And that that's that's such an important social contract. And uh, Republicans are conservatives, and I will say it that way more than Republicans, have never really taken to social insurance, particularly they think that's too big a role of government. That's what government's about to me. And in this, this public health, this this terrible pandemic, is all about the government response. And, you know, everybody's now realizing, oh, big government actually, government can actually do really good things for people to save them. But it has to be not, you know, a year from now we're done, we didn't learn anything, we didn't do anything. No, a year from now we have an expanded UI, we also unemployment, we also have a, a better rebuilt and on the way to getting stronger public health infrastructure.
0: I mean, I've talked to a number of other progressives who see sort of an opportunity here to put in place a lot of things that progressives have been talking about for a long time uh, when it comes to some of the things you've been talking about or in a wider way. I've got obviously Bernie Sanders saying that this makes the the case for uh, Medicare for all system, uh, which is something that you were not for because you, your, your position on Medicare for All was that it didn't take care of the immediate need of, of health care that people needed, and it's better to, to work on getting health care to the people who need it rather than trying to start what would have been a long process to overhaul the system. I mean, is this an opportunity for progressives to do something massive in making government reflect more the vision of it that you and, and people who, by and large, agree with you have?
1: Well, first of all, I think the public overwhelmingly agrees and sees more clearly now the role of government and how government is a positive force in people's lives. And we, we don't make that case day in and day out. It's not a progressive case. It's a, it's a, it is a progressive case, but it's a proven historical case that, that people do well when every, everybody does well when everybody does well. Um, I, I, I don't think you quite want to look at this as an opportunity because it, it looks a little seedy um, to say, as still, as some have said, well, We've got to use this this crisis as an opportunity to advance progressive causes. Um, I think that looks um, this doesn't doesn't sit well with the public. But I think we you know sh- show us what you believe. Show us. And uh, this old civil rights leader, don't tell me what you believe. Show me what you do. I'll I'll tell you what you believe. And in showing what UI does for people, showing what expanded Medicaid does, showing what earned income tax credit does which rewards work but also helps those who are unable to work or haven't found a job so um, all of those things and you you know, the word use put in quotation marks use these days to to prove that with with what we've had in the past and what we can have in the future and i think you'll see the kind of structural change in our society that that most of the country wants even if they don't say it's now an overwhelming percentage of the country will will appreciate and benefit from it uh, as the years go on.
0: Uh, to just take a moment and think about the, the last two crisis points that America has faced and things that happened in them uh, after September 11th, there was uh, the rush through the Patriot Act um, after the financial crisis in 2008, there was what happened with TARP. Uh, one of the, the lessons that people took from uh the Patriot Act was slow down, don't, there were a lot of things that got stuck in that bill that people didn't really realize were there or that uh, only came uh, clear for what problems they they brought up years later. Uh, one of the lessons that people took from what happened with TARP was that Democrats kind of gave in too much and gave up too much and maybe should have tried to, in effect, uh, Slow it down then, uh, and put more of their priorities in, and 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 fight back against the what the Republicans were were pushing on. Do you see either of those as instructive cases when you think about the way that Congress has to approach what what's ahead?
1: Oh yeah, they're they're both uh, both of them. The the mistakes Congress made, and I guess the White House made too, um, were because of fear, uh, fear of terrorism, fear of. Of what was next in the in the um, implosion of the economy in 2008, um, and politicians don't make good decisions when it comes to fear. Uh, going into the Iraq War was clearly Bush. I was in the House then and voted against it, and I remember Bush calling directly or indirectly on, most of us on American or soft on terror. Uh, I saw fear in the eyes of people during the impeachment. They were fe- fearful of what Trump might do to them. And when you make decisions based on fear, you almost always make the wrong decision. So I don't think it's a question of, of base, basing it on that now. It, people are cer- certainly fearful, but it's more of a, of a you know, we, we also watch uh, the some of the most powerful players in society, like the banks. Every time there's a disaster of any kind, they find ways to get weaker regulation on them. And we've got a caution against that now. But um, I go back to the social insurance and how important that is. Um, and we 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 make those decisions based on on what we have seen work in the past and what we've seen work in the past. Whether it was the Roosevelt years or the LBJ years, when you when you build the institutions of society, Medicare, so Social Security, unemployment insurance, um, Head Start, you build these some social insurance, other just others just sort of a. Safety net, but providing opportunity to people that don't have it. We all gain for generations from it, and we we need to make that case better today, as as in any any crisis like this.
0: Are you surprised at how fragile our whole situation was? Whether it's what was happening in uh, in government or or uh, our public health, it, it just feels like the world has so radically changed in a couple of days, and we are only at the very forefront of what this change is going to be. I don't think any one that I've talked to would have guessed that it would be possible for things to change this much this quickly, uh, and again, with much more to come. What, was it surprising yeah, to you?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, that was a very thoughtful, this whole interview has been very thoughtful, in the questions, that was a really good question. Um, <laughs> yes, well, thank I you, Senator. <laughs> no, 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 well, it yes, is, mean, I think that, We've been surprised. I Can only speak for myself, but um, I think I've been surprised by how fragile our democracy appears with uh, the threat that this president has done what he's done. Um, I mean, I don't think we've lost. I think we're one. Well, I think we're going to beat Trump. But second, I think our democracy is is strong, but it's it's not nearly as strong as, as probably most of us thought. And it's it, when we're not as um, we're not as immune from from disaster. I. I you can't help thinking about climate change in that context that that um you know we all we all warn of it many of us um of many political stripes say it's the most important moral issue of our times it is um and we're not we're we're never i guess the human mind doesn't prepare prepare for the worst case very well at least collectively as a, as a government and as a society but um i i was surprised i i know our public health infrastructure is is much undermined by conservative budgets and Trump's incompetence and wanting to blame everybody else and never taking responsibility and and inability and you know it's all this was all about the stock market and want to all the kinds of things there, but even with that, I, I would have thought we would have been able to overcome this a little better than we have so far.
0: So I'll, I'm going to end it on, since you brought up how fragile our democracy is, We it, it it's sort of stunning, but at this point, after the last couple of years, not that surprising to see how quickly we got to questions of whether President Trump would try to postpone the election or move in some kind of authoritarian way. Uh, before that, it's hard to predict anything at all at this point. Are you confident that he will not try to change things for saying that the election is on november 3rd
1: i don't think he can i think he can try i think he will sow all those doubts in people um it's pretty stunning how loyal his base is and how fearful republican politicians are of him i mean just we go back to the the percentage of people who are self-identified republicans and don't believe this virus this coronavirus, this COVID-19, is that serious compared to the rest of the population? So I, I, I understand that, and I understand that once he's no longer president, he's going to continue, in all likelihood, to roll the waters and question everything. Um, but we're a, we're a pretty resilient country, and I think over time that falls on that, that falls on defer and defer fewer and fewer ears. Uh, but I, I think it's going to make governing much harder in 2021. Uh, do have belief that it will roil the waters and continue to undermine our faith in government as he's done. And that's maybe the worst thing he's done, that, that such a huge swath of people think the government is always ill-intentioned and you and the media are never to be trusted. And um, that, that to me is, is perhaps the, the biggest concern of all this. And that's why a decisive win in, in November is, is so very, very, very important to continue to roil the waters. I don't have any doubt.
0: I I can't tell if we're ending on a note of optimism or uh, deep pessimism at this point, but that seems to be the life that we're
1: (laughs) in. I'll I'll end on a note of optimism. You said earlier that these Democratic candidates are talking about work and the dignity of work, and that's such a universal, particularly coupled with civil rights, such a human rights, such a universal, um, uh, universal equality of humankind. And I think people are, most voters, most people, Why the country, after we come out of this, even without a vibrant economy, because it's going to take a while to rebuild that, that people are going to be optimistic about their future, and how the role of government played such a such such an important um, part of that.
0: All right, Senator, thanks for taking all this time to talk. I really appreciate it, and sure. let you get back it's to uh, uh, the work of trying to figure back. this thanks. out.
1: All right, thanks. All right, thanks. thanks.
0: That's this week's episode of The Ticket, Politics from the Atlantic, brought to you by a conference line. Thanks to Kevin Townsend for producing and editing this episode, and to Catherine Wells, the executive producer for Atlantic Podcast. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. Wash your hands.
1: Be well. And catch you next week.